and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Chasing Headlines edition. My name is Brent Whitmire, I'm an editorial and features writer, and I am here in the Journal Newsroom studio on Friday, October the 2nd. It's been a grab bag of a week here in the Press Gallery. On Monday, we had our last English Federal Leaders debate, and we'll have our last French one tonight. While Premier Rachel Notley has been talking Turkey in Toronto, Montreal, and New York, Alberta's outgoing trade envoy did some shouting of his own. We'll talk about that, plus the political jousting between Calgary Mayor Nahid Nenshi and Jason Kenney. As always on the Press Gallery, I promise we never play politics. Here in the studio before they start today's newest hashtag, we have city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, Brent Whitmire. Reporter Sheila Pratt. Hello, all. And National Post reporter Tristan Hopper. Hello. You all look fantastic. I'm wearing a bathrobe, but thank you. <laughs> you said it's that last radio. time. <laughs> well, let's start a little differently today. Uh, the name of this week's episode is Chasing Headlines, something that Stephen Harper kept saying on Monday's federal leaders debate. We've also had an Alberta flare-up in the Niqab debate. Everyone is accusing everybody of playing politics. Why is talking about not playing politics such good politics? Well, I mean, it's it, the hypocrisy of of, uh, of Jason Kenney's comments this week. Were, it's only the Tories that can say this. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was so exquisitely stupid. I mean, they are the people who have grotesquely politicized this whole issue about whether a handful of ultra-Orthodox Muslim women should be allowed to wear the niqab at the citizenship ceremony, not to take the oath, mm-hmm. but at the party afterwards. Things like that. I mean, this is a, a fight about regulating party dress. The courts have told them time and again that they don't have the power to do that. Nonetheless, they've chosen to make the niqab a wedge issue, a dog whistle issue in this election, because it plays very well in Quebec, where there are a huge number of votes. In a remarkable act of two-faced hypocrisy, Jason Kenney accused Calgary Mayor Nahid Nenshi of politicizing the issue when Nenshi spoke out as Canada's, uh, you know, most prominent Muslim public figure. Uh, Nenshi said that this was dangerous and divisive politics. And Kenney said, you know, people like Nenshi are the only ones who are complaining about this, uh, (laughs) leaving open the question of people like Nenshi, how? Um, Brown Muslim people? Calgary mayors. Calgary mayors? Not old stock. So, yes, I did engage in a little online mischief yesterday. I started a hashtag called people like Nenshi, and I sort of walked away from my computer, and when I came back 35 minutes later, it was trending nationally, which for those of you who don't use Twitter will mean nothing, but made me, for a day at least, a Twitter rock star. So, um, <laughs> And that's what, that's, that's what we all aspire to. Clearly, Nenshi's comments and my hashtag had struck a nerve with a lot of people across the political spectrum and across the country who are very uncomfortable with the way the conservatives are using the niqab to sort of pander and to incite xenophobia. I don't like. Uh, I don't know particularly. I mean, we like to imagine it's sort of a white versus brown issue, but I'm I'm not sure if when Jason Kenney says that, if he's just appealing to you know sort of barhead farmers wearing flannel who are afraid of the Muslims <laughs> taking over. So this might be less of a white issue than we think. I'm yeah, sure. I think, like, I, I, Kenny, yeah, I don't. I don't actually think that's what Kenny meant. But like, but. Kenny's big in uh, immigrant communities, so yeah. I think he's speaking as much to. I think there's a lot of uh, you know recent Muslim immigrants who are more bothered by this than you know, the average white person. So I, I think it's, yeah, it's divisive, but uh, we, we live in a pretty diverse country. So I think uh, our divided sectors are, are a rainbow of different colors. There, there was a, a few years ago, there was a proposal. Women could unveil at citizenship ceremonies if they did some ceremonies for women only, occasionally. Yeah. 
and Kenny actually killed that. He didn't allow that idea to go ahead. So, I mean, it's not like there are, if he doesn't like this option, which is the court telling you you can't tell people what they can wear at a party, yeah. uh, th- then there's other ways to deal with it, but he's not that interested. So, you know, I was asked on CBC Radio this morning, you know, why is this the big issue and not the economy and not the Syrian refugee crisis? And the answer to that is pretty simple. Harper doesn't want to run on the economy because that's not a great issue for him right now. And he doesn't really want to run on po- foreign policy issues that we saw during the Monk debate. Nobody actually really wanted to talk much about foreign policy. This is cheap. This is easy to scapegoat a small community and to appeal to. As as Tristan says, there are lots of people who would never consider themselves racists. There are lots of people who are are liberal Muslims who find the, uh, the image of women in a niqab offensive. And if you want to make it go away, I mean, just think of you from a utilitarian standpoint. I mean, Canadian history has a long history of new immigrant groups showing up in weird clothes that make everybody uncomfortable. Yeah. I heard Rex Murphy yesterday compare it to the uh, turbans for the RCMP a couple of decades ago. That was a huge issue. Now you don't really hear so much no, about it. No, there is a long Canadian tradition of compromise and accommodation on these things that just gets completely ignored but I think uh, if you in ignore this debate. It, it just goes away. It, in a generation There's or two. nobody wearing, I don't know the names of it, but the, the Ukrainian head coverings and the like parachute pants. This is ve- all very offensive to our Ukrainian listeners. But those just disappeared because probably the politicians of the time are like, oh, you want to wear that? Whatever. And their kids don't wear it and it dies out. No, I mean, and that's the thing. If our goal is to help Muslim women who come from more restrictive family culture to integrate into Canadian society. We don't do that by telling them they can't become citizens. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, the polls, uh, they've been showing some interesting shifts, and maybe this plays into it. Uh, The NDP support has dropped four points, uh, is what the poll tracker this morning said, and a lot of that's in Quebec. Uh, Conservatives have inched up in the gap and have raised up to... 32.5. 32.5. It looks like they're actually, if the election was held today, they would win a minority. But liberals, once the long shots, have also moved up and they're sort of staying steady right now. Sheila, what do you think's happening right well, now? Well, in this campaign, everybody's waiting for the moment when people make the decision who's it going to be, if it's in you're in the anybody but Tory camp, which one are you going to vote for? And I guess we're seeing part of that in Quebec. I don't think we're seeing it too much outside Quebec yet. And I think, as Paul has mentioned, it's connected to the niqab issue for sure, where that issue is much more sensitive and much more highly politicized than here. So Mulcair's stance, which is in favor of allowing people to wear them in the citizenship uh, ceremonies, is not the popular. He's not on the popular side on that. So it's he's going to take a little hit in his support. And being that's his big base, that's going to it may affect his national standings. I, I don't think it's breaking yet outside Quebec. I could be wrong, but that's what's the interesting thing to see. People are still, if you're in the anybody but Harper camp, you're still kind of waiting to see. There is an interest in the. It's obvious Trudeau's going ahead a little bit, partly from that monk debate. Everybody would agree he performed very well, so that's benefited him. And at Prime Minister Harper, if you're looking at Harper, he performed well in that debate too. So, It's interesting. Mulcair has other problems in Quebec. One of the major Quebec dailies wrote a piece, big piece, calling him Pinocchio and breaking out all of his various times when he said one thing in English and one thing in French. There are issues beyond the niqab hot button about Mulcair. And, of course, he's well-known in Quebec because he was a provincial cabinet minister. He has an actual track record there. Uh, which is a good thing and a bad which thing. Which is a good thing and a bad thing. And he did not have a great monk debate. I was surprised. I thought that was one of his weakest outings as, as a debater in this last round. And as Sheila says, Trudeau had a very, very good night. How much would you attribute the sort of changes that we've seen to these debate performances? How how big influence? Zero, I guess? Like, approximately but us. zero. Percent. No, yeah, everybody... not, especially the monk debate was not. Yeah, everybody broadcast. ends the debate and they're like, "Oh, my guy won." 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think uh, it was it was entertaining, but uh, we didn't learn anything new. There was nothing like there was no new information. I mean, I, I could have taken all the speeches of the leaders and like cut them up. Yeah. Like pretend I was cutting a movie where the actors had like been fired at the end. So I could have re- everything they said there has been said already. So if you're a partisan, it's not like there was some <gasps> moment. So yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a movie. And, and part of the problem, of course, and we've talked about this before, is these debates are not being widely telecast. Uh, you know, the monk debate, which was definitely the best one as a debate, in part because the monk debates, this is what they do. They run debates, so they know how to do that. So they had a very good format. But they were carried only by CPAC on television, which most, I think, Canadians can't find reliably on their television <laughs> set. Plus, they started at 5 p.m. Mountain yeah, 5 time. Yeah, 5 p.m. Yeah, yeah, 4 p.m. Vancouver time. So all of BC is, gets off work and yeah. all the debates are half over. And the translation. But the translation was just Because they were doing live translation. <laughs> so they switch, be, very Canadian, they switch between English and French. So you'd have Harper saying like, well, we will, blah, 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 blah. And then you would switch into French and then you're hearing the live translation and be like, um, we are uh, putting together policies. Uh, Trudeau, Trudeau's wrong. The one, uh, thing I, the one thing I will say about that debate uh, is that it did show some real differences between the parties and with some clarity, finally. So, well, well, there's some differences on the economy, but there were differences in foreign policy vis-a-vis ISIS and the trade agreements and that kind of thing that came out, That and especially Bill C-51. Uh, there were, I, I thought if you were looking for choice, you got a clearer picture of what you were choosing. Yeah, it's not my good stuff, yeah. but if you didn't watch it, I think it's probably still available to watch on YouTube uh, archived. I mean, it was certainly the most entertaining, although, as Tristan says, one of the side entertainments was the fact that for some of it, they had a female translator with, oh, a, yeah. with a very high squeaky voice. So there's Thomas Mulcair, and you know yeah. that he's speaking in his baritone. And instead, what's coming out is a woman speaking like this! <laughs> she reminded me of the lady from the Air Force. That's yeah, right. it was, um, you know, that that humor was unintentional. Also, inspired by Trudeau, I, I vowed in the rest of this, I'm just going to bring up 60% more nostalgia and 75% just talking over the rest of you. Also, <laughs> that's not true, Miss <laughs> yeah. Simon. Yeah. If, if somebody tonight mentions bulk water exports, I mean, bulk, I don't want to hear Trudeau talk about bulk water exports. I don't want to hear uh, Thomas Mulcair talk about Tommy Douglas and the War Measures Act. Mm. And I, I don't... I really don't care about separatism. Yeah, you know, I mean... It, yeah, there are certain things that we. I think we've we have rehearsed those arguments enough now. Harper's kind of he has a, a stance of it's just slight exasperation. He just always sounds like oh. Prime ministers always look like that. If you look back all the other debates, all the way back to 1968 with Pierre Trudeau, they always look like they don't want to be there. The only one who looks like he wants to be there and makes me suspicious <laughs> is Justin Trudeau. He looks like hi, oh, hey, hey, how's everything going? Every, we've got to open up the heart. Like he's uh, both Mulcair and Harper are just. God, I hate this. Uh, vote for me, you jerks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but I think Tristan's right. I mean, the prime minister is always the one who can assume this mantle of dignity. I am the prime minister, and you, you know, petty underlings who aspire to my throne, you know. So, I mean, Harper's worked that very well. You know, like, look at these guys. <sighs> yeah. Uh all yeah, right. Do you believe you, this? You can't, you, can't, you can't see Brent rolling his eyes in a very good Harper <laughs> imitation, but trust me, it was great. You're going to stand up to Putin. Uh, anyway, um, so tonight's leaders debate, the last one with the big three candidates. Uh, I don't know if we're, we're going to have one next week, the broadcasters. Plus, uh, plus you'll do SEP. Uh, Tristan, you've been working on an interesting, I've, you sit right by me. I've overheard some interesting conversations about the microcosm that's going on, the under, under the script, underneath the script. Um, uh, what happens when they speak in French, basically, what, yeah. yes. So, thanks for asking. Uh, <laughs> essentially, um, 
the so when we hear them speak in English, you can't really tell that Harper was from Calgary and was born in Toronto. So they all kind of sound the same. Like mm-hmm. us Anglophones, we don't hear class, we don't hear geographic origins. It's just uh, English, except for Duceppe, obviously. But when they speak French, that's a whole different other realm. So a Francophone, uh, Quebec is more like like Scotland or England. Like there's a lot of different accents and a lot of different ways of speaking the language. So I was I've been asking Francophones and linguists and actors. I was like, what do you hear from the the leaders? And they're saying, well, Harper is it's, it's French is bad. I think we all know that, but it's not that bad. He can express himself, but they say, but he's he's very robotic. He doesn't have the music to French. <laughs> he's very robotic yeah, in English. English. I was like, well, that's how he speaks English. So. <laughs> It's, it's, no, it's nothing to do with the language. That's how you'd speak Italian or He's anything He's a good else. rock singer, though. Come on. And we all assume, as Anglophones, we're like, oh, yeah, Mulcair and Trudeau, they're both Quebecers. They speak fluent Quebec. Not so. Uh, Mulcair, uh, all his words are good, but they say he sounds like he, because he, he grew up outside Ottawa, so he speaks this, like, weird kind of garbled accent where you see this with kids who grew up in Ottawa. They don't speak English just right, and they don't speak French just right. They just speak this weird middle ground. Both uh, both languages have an accent. So they say he's good, but you can tell he's an Anglophone. And Trudeau, that one's really weird. They say he speaks rich kid French, so, so like, like outrement French. Yeah. He obviously learned it out of a book and is the son of Pierre Trudeau, who always spoke this high, poetic Parisian French. And they say he's there's just every once in a while he'll just do a slip-up which shows that he didn't grow up in the language. So he'll mix up like no with notre. If you speak French, you'll understand, sort of. So there's just these little tells here and there that uh, uh, francophones can hear. And, of course, Elizabeth May is just garbage. <laughs> yeah, and, she, and, she, she, and she won't be there tonight, so. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and what do they think about Duceppe's French? I mean, what does it signal to people? Uh, well, Duceppe, actually, um, and Trudeau might be an exception, but there's two types of general French in Quebec. So there's, I've, I've heard it called Radio-Canada French. So there's this sort of official French that uh, is sort of the regional accents are flattened out. So uh, when you're a politician or when you're on Radio-Canada, you speak this kind of blah French. like, And then you have your rural French or your common French. So that's where you have, that's your sort of Quebec French. So if you've learned, like if you grew up in Alberta and you learned French immersion and then you go to Quebec and you're hanging around with a bunch of people in Trois-Rivières, you're like, you're not speaking French. You're speaking some weird hick French or something. So there's the two different types. So Duceppe, uh, is the only one that can switch between those two. So he can ah. speak the common French and he can speak the international French, but all the others, uh, especially Harper, they can only speak in the high French. So Duceppe can speak to Francophones in a way that none of the other leaders can. Seeing that you said that uh, the polls have zero influence to begin with, or the uh, debates have zero influence, do you think this uh, matters? <laughs> no, because they hate Duceppe anyway. They, just, <laughs> they can understand better how much they hate him. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think I said last time that, you know, Duceppe looked like the guy in his closing remarks that you just dumped, and he's begging you to take him back. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's sort of the aura he's giving off. I mean... Trudeau needed this election. I mean, at the beginning of this, remember, people with some people were saying the liberals were dead and that this would kill them. And we'd go back to a two party system with the liberals as kind of like a little rump party. I think Trudeau has fairly successfully made his brand. I mean, not not maybe a contender for government, but not not written them off. But Duceppe has, in some ways, the largest challenge, because if he can't hold on to seats in Quebec, I mean, then his party is done. I mean, Mm -hmm. then that's that's the that's the end of the story of the Bloc Québécois. Uh, switching back here to Alberta, we've had a bit of drama this week as well. Uh, Rob Marifold on Wednesday was relieved of his duties three years early. 
he was chasing headlines, obviously, but he... <laughs> he was, was, he playing, yes. was he playing politics? <laughs> was he playing politics? He was, not true. He was insisting Simon's. he was not playing <laughs> yeah, politics. right. He was saying the he NDP were playing country. politics. Yeah. Um, and jeopardizing oil sands development. Sheila, what did you make of... He was playing politics, <laughs> let me confirm for all of us. As, we, yeah. as if we did not know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, I, of course he was not going to stay on in the job with the change of government. He was put there by Prentice with a specific mission about promoting those pipelines that were a key part of the Prentice economic platform. They're not a key part of the Notley economic platform, not the Keystone South. So so I'm not quite sure how long he thought he might stay on. No one should be surprised. I don't think that he was removed. That he chose to speak out in the middle of the federal election campaign and to try to discredit the, the Notley government and their approach and raise this issue of the economy is at stake and all of Canadians' prosperity is at stake in his job. Well, that's playing politics, I'm sure, to help Mr. Harper. His former caucus colleague. Yeah, his former MP, his former caucus colleague. He's not worried about a job. He just got one <laughs> with a lobby group. So I think there's a lot of reason he was raising these political issues. We have always known that the parties treat this position as a patronage appointment instead of like a, a proper professional civil service position. Merrifield was appointed as a partisan and his behavior on exiting was really unprofessional and really undignified and and made it obvious that he'd always been a partisan. I mean, if you're a professional diplomat, you don't pee on the boss's carpet on your way out the door. I mm. mean, you, you swallow your pride and you leave with dignity because he's, you know, he's, he's supposed to be serving the interests of the people of Alberta. So his behavior was shoddy. But then, you know, the New Democrats, I'm afraid, kind of descended to the same level. And the Premier's press secretary put out this really snarky tweet about... Passive well, aggressive. Yeah, right. now we see, you know, as, you know, for the reasons he's he's made abundantly, you know, yeah. plain, that's why we're letting him go. It's like, oh, <clears throat> see, sweeties, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> there was something interesting about the, uh, the whole sort of his whole job title. I mean, he didn't have a severance package built into his job. It seemed really, what, really why weird. Why are we talking about this? Why... <laughs> This just drives me crazy. Oh, poor Rob Merrifield didn't get a severance package. Oh. We just had years of trashing people for getting severances packages in every Tory government from Redford to, to Prentice. Why are we? Why is this a scandal that he doesn't oh, get one? Oh, I, I don't he think it's a severance let's package. Let's just let it go. The guy just came to your desk and said, get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how but, we still do. But but my question isn't isn't so much like okay this is a, I really feel bad for Rob Merrifield. It's not it's not that I'm worried about his financial future. I think he probably can take care of himself. But does this show you the reason why these things exist? Is because you want to keep people quiet when they leave? Is that kind of do you think there's something the, to the, like the a severance tax? Like well yeah like you're he, supposed to sh just leave your job. It's like he's he's, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's the ambassador to Alberta. Exactly. Like we have our own ambassador. So. If you're like a U.S. ambassador to say Singapore, yeah. and then there's a new president, uh, you know, if it's a Democratic president, you're probably going to be fired in exchange for some Kennedy nephew or something. And for some reason, they have no problem with just leaving and, you know, handing over the keys and uh, as Miss Simons mentioned, not peeing on the carpet. So yeah, show some professionalism. So, I, although it was snarky, what uh, the NDP's press secretary said, it's right. You don't take out a whole website uh, he actually yeah. it, it, the statement is on his own domain maryfieldstatement.com yeah. which I have a band wow. called Maryfield Statement so this is <laughs> I didn't me. realize he set up he set up a whole website just to have a tantrum. Yeah, and then call yeah. me for media interviews. Look at me. I'm not yeah. 
yeah. and he got a lot of media interviews. So, yeah. and really, yeah. the the Notley government's been pretty even-handed when it's been goaded by the Harper government before. I mean, every now and again, she'll send out Joe Cece, but she is not stepping into that debate. She's above it. So this tiny jab, I kind of agree with Tristan. I thought, ah, good on them. One well, tiny he did get. Uh, I mean, they're starting construction of Keystone XL as we speak, so I think we should give some credit to Mr. Merrifield. Well, I mean, he, I mean, it, it, that's the other thing. His statement was so self-serving. It made it sound like if they just kept him there another yeah, couple of yeah. weeks. He, you know, he, he said, he was on the you only had two more senators to go, and he'd have it, right? The House of Cards was about to fall. So Graham talked last week about how premiers head to places like Washington to make a point back home, not Lee's out east, perhaps to play up the sort of business credential thing that she's been doing. She's giving a lot of different messaging than the other premiers have when they went east mm-hmm. and mostly to, to New York. But uh, the messaging of Redford and Prentice is we have the best environmental standards in the world and, and so take our oil. And she's giving a different message, which is we actually have to deliver on environmental um, policy and then hopefully you'll build take our pipeline and so it's a it's a very different kind of messaging and um and it, it's probably the right time to go it's before she gets into the the mess and uh, of a budget that's coming up um so i i, I thought it was quite the timing was fine you, yeah, and her, her focus was very much like on the financial papers you know mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's more important probably arguably for her to be speaking to bloomberg than for her to be speaking to you know, some senator's assistant in Washington, D.C. Um, and, you know, she had her little press availability with the premier of Ontario uh, as well. You know, I don't know how much attention anyone in Alberta is actually paying to this. We've got so much else happening on the political front right now. Uh, do you think, uh, do, do you buy the Wild Rose argument that there she's sending confusing signals that uh, uh, that she's voiced opposition for Keystone, but she's uh, voicing favor for Energy East, Kinder Morgan. Well, she's been clear about that. Uh, I mean, I, I find the Wild Rose slightly confusing, too. She's at the AUMA asking for more infrastructure projects to, I'm sure, help the economy here. And, and Wild Rose said, well, that's bad. And then she goes to New York to help promote the oil industry and reassure the financial markets, and that's bad, too. So I'm not quite sure how she can win with them. But, but she's been clear about the Keystone. She's always said we can't influence what goes on down there. So she's going to look at pipelines where she can have an impact. So I guess we'll leave the politics playing and we'll move on to good stuff from the gallery. So every week we share something we've enjoyed, often but not always, with a political connection. Paula. It's from the September edition of Harper's Magazine and it's called Weed Whackers by Andrew Coburn. Coburn makes a really interesting anti-intuitive argument about our hysteria about invasive species. Mm-hmm. And he argues that North Americans who obsess too much about the evil of invasive species are actually uh, being manipulated to a certain extent by large uh, pesticide companies. Sheila. Gordon Laxer, who's a University of Alberta political science professor, was associated with the Parkland Institute, has put out a new book called After the Sands. And he makes a point of saying, I'm not calling it the tar sands or the oil sands. I'm going to call it the sands so I can lower the <laughs> temperature of this debate. And it it's a just, I'm only partway through it, but it is a way of how do we transition off of fossil fuel? Is that possible to do and still maintain a presence of the oil sands in the economy, et cetera. So I'm going to put that on the agenda. So my choice, as always, is the fine pages of the National Post. Open up to any page, and I'm sure you'll find excellent reading material. No, my my real pick is 
I, I should have picked something actual from the National Post, but actually I've been listening to an audiobook called Parkland, and it's a minute-by-minute account of the Kennedy assassination in Dallas. Mm. So it sounds, it's, it's, it's just a journalistic account, so it's not filled with conspiracy theories and Jesse Ventura and like everything else. And it's actually really interesting because you hear about like the individuals who had to deal with it. And what always fascinates me is the medical staff. So you have medical staff at Parkland Hospital. They wheel in, you know, a president missing half a head, and they have to save his life, and they fail. Two days later, same medical staff, same nurses, same exact staff, same time of day, and then they wheel in Lee Harvey Oswald, the guy who did it. And they're like, now you got to save his life. So you're like, huh. that's an, like I would probably drag my feet and be like, well, you don't have to save yeah. his life that quickly. But Do I really need to clamp? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. So my pick this week is in the – from the National Post, uh, an Andrew Coyne piece on the kneecap issue, why it's ridiculous, and why Coyne, as a fully paid-up subscriber to the war on terrorism, that's what he says, thinks it's ridiculous to equate extreme religious views with a willingness to commit mass murder. Previous episodes of the Press Gallery are at edmontonjournal.com opinion or on the Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. The show pops up most Friday afternoons and can be retrieved via iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and the Edmonton Journal website. We're all on Twitter. You should also check out the journal's Facebook page. Thank you, Paula, Sheila, and Tristan for joining me in the newsroom studio. Tune in next time where we'll discuss the latest hashtag, people like the press gallery. That's all for now from the press gallery. Thanks for listening. That's not true, Mr. Whitmark. (laughs) 